Hey, my name is Jason Byler. I'm the pastor of Life Change Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcasts. I believe that if you'll listen to them, uh, that you will be blessed. Mark 4 tells us that the Word of God uh, planted down inside of our hearts uh, can bring forth a rich, beautiful, abundant harvest in our lives. This is my desire uh, for you. Uh, so as you listen to the Word, just receive it. Let it get down in your heart. Bring forth a harvest. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Receive the blessing. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesus. Well, um, we are in, our, in this series, Mighty Warrior, and uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap that up uh, today. Uh, really, uh, really important. Um, and then next Sunday is, is Mother's Day, right? Isn't that? Yes, yes, hallelujah. Uh, praise the Lord. We are excited uh, about that. Um, but, but today, uh, let's get back into the story uh, in Judges of Gideon um, and, uh, and, and push into a, a very uh, important part of this story, um, which, which is uh, almost an essential part for the story to be uh, completed. And it's not at all surprising the direction that the story is going to move uh, into. So, so what I want to do is get into Judges chapter 7, but first let's remember a little bit of Judges uh, chapter 6. Uh, if you remember, uh, Israel uh, is in great need. Uh, they are in, in trouble uh, because of the Midianites. The enemy around them is so uh, oppressing them, uh, that uh, so oppressed by the Midianites that we find Gideon... Um, Hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, clearly says there to keep it from the Midianites. Well, well, there uh, in the wine press, threshing wheat, God shows up and He speaks to Gideon. This is you know an incredibly important moment. You know, this is this is the the beginning of God moving uh, to free the Israelites from the oppression of their enemy, to free the Israelites from the oppression of the Midianites. Um, because, if you didn't know this, just let me declare this, because God's plan and purpose and desire for His people is not to be oppressed by the enemy. It's not to be defeated by the enemy. It's not to be in bondage to the enemy. It's not to be hiding in fear from the enemy. So God moves uh, in his people's behalf, because they are oppressed by the enemy and in hiding from the enemy and in fear of the enemy. And, and he comes to Gideon, who is actually hiding in fear from the enemy, threshing wheat in a wine press. And he speaks to him and he says this powerful thing. He says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we have talked about this. That, that if God says it, proclaims it, declares it, that it is so. Even though Gideon's hiding out afraid, oppressed by the enemy, even though that's what he's doing, that's not who Gideon is. Gideon is a mighty warrior. So, so then the, the, the story goes on to where Gideon's got to go through this time of, of kind of testing this and trying this to where he believes it. 
And, and then he's got to get some things in order. The, the idol's got to be torn down and God has to be set as Lord of, their, of his people. Like, like if you want freedom in your life and not to be oppressed by the enemy, I don't, I don't want to backtrack, but it's just, it's just worth saying again that Jesus Christ has to be Lord in your heart. If he's not Lord in your heart, if he's just a little G among all the other gods in your heart, then you will not live in victory. But, but, but when Jesus is Lord in your heart, and he is God and God alone of your life, then you have, you have set on the path uh, to, to, to be free from the enemy, free from his oppression, and to, and to live in victory. So um, we come to chapter 7, and, well, actually in chapter 6, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gideon and he sounds a trumpet and gathers the uh, people of God, gathers the Israelite people to battle, gathers them together to go to war against the Midianites. So, so now uh, Gideon is preparing and planning for battle. He's preparing and planning to go to war. And if you know the story, he goes to war. There is a battle that takes place against Gideon and the Israelites and the Midianites and some of the other enemies that have gathered together with them. And, and, and that's where the story heads, which it just makes sense, right? Because why in the world would God come and speak to Gideon and declare to him that I'm with you and you are a mighty warrior... Why would he say that if there wasn't a battle in his future? If there wasn't a war to be fought, if there wasn't an enemy to come against and face and, and go to war with, then why would Gideon need to be a mighty warrior? Why would God declare that he is? And why would God have to say that not only are you a mighty warrior, but I am with you? Because God came and spoke to Gideon, hiding out in the wine press, threshing wheat, that he's with you, that I'm with you, Gideon, and you are a mighty warrior. That what that means is that there is now coming a battle in Gideon's life. It's it's time to go to war. It's time for battle. God didn't God didn't speak that to Gideon, so that Gideon would continue to hide out in fear, so that he would continue to live oppressed by the enemy, defeated by the enemy, having everything stolen uh, from him by the enemy. He didn't speak that to Gideon so that, so that his people would continue to live in slavery and oppression to the enemy. He spoke it to him so that Gideon would rise up and go to battle against the enemy, go to war with the enemy. So if God has spoken to Gideon, and we believe also spoken to us that he is with us and we are mighty warriors, and God's, God's speaking that to Gideon calls him to battle, then what that also means for us is God speaking that to us calls us to battle as well. Not, not, to, not to remain in hiding, not to remain in fear, not to remain in bondage or oppression or even to remain on the sidelines. The call of God on our lives to war is a call to, to, to be a mighty warrior is a call of God on our lives to war. 
And so if God is speaking to us, and I believe that He is, that we are mighty warriors, then what that means is there is war in our future. That there are battles ahead of us. Now, maybe it's an important time for us to to be reminded, uh, to remember, or or if you didn't know, to, to learn for the first time, that in Christ, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That our battle is against our enemy, the devil. That, that ancient serpent, the dragon, who leads the whole world astray. That, that just like Gideon sounded the trumpet and gathered God's people together to go and fight against the enemy, we are not to war with one another we are to together war against the enemy. We are not brothers and sisters in Christ who are to fight with one another and war with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who are together in our battle against the devil. He is the enemy. I'm not. He is the enemy. You're not. He is the enemy. The church is not. Flesh and blood, not the enemy. Even even the lost people of the world who have not trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior are not our enemy. They're flesh and blood. They are being manipulated, twisted, and deceived by our enemy. Our battle is against Satan. Not flesh and blood. Maybe it's important to read it in Ephesians chapter 6 again. So we are reminded of this important truth. Ephesians 6 verse 10. I know, I know most of you probably know this. You, uh, you probably have uh, memorized it uh, when you were a kid. Um, but here we go. It's important to be reminded of these things. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What a powerful verse. Right? We wonder why our parents had us memorize these things, right? Or, or we heard these sermons preached or learned these things in Sunday school as children because it's such a powerful truth that we need to powerfully know this has got to be hidden down inside of our hearts, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, that we are to be clothed in the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Some, some important, important words uh, here, uh, that, uh, that we are to be clothed in the armor of God, that we are to be strong, not Look, I'm not to be strong in the might of Jason. Yeah. Right? That, that might would be okay if, if my battle were against flesh and blood. To be strong in the might of Jason, and even then I wouldn't be enough. But when my battle is against the devil's schemes, it's, it's not a strength in myself, of myself, that I'm to be strong in. This is, 
This is one of the major struggles in our culture today is, is, that, is that we think in flesh and blood in, in our wisdom and might and strength and, and cleverness and technology that we can solve the problems. And we don't realize that the problems are coming from the devil's schemes. We've got, to, we've got to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We've got to put on the full armor of God. I wonder if anybody remembers that song, Mighty Warrior Dressed for Battle. You remember that, anybody? That was a great song. We've got to be mighty warriors, clothed in the armor of God, dressed for battle, so that, it's so important, so that, so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. I, just let me read again. We are to, as mighty warriors of God, we are called to stand not with the enemy, embracing his, his schemes, supporting his schemes, applauding them, bowing to them, saying, yes, well, you know what? Maybe the devil is right. All this time, the, all this time, the church and preachers have been saying the Bible's right. You know what? Maybe we're not. Maybe we should stop standing against the devil and start standing with him. Maybe we should believe his schemes. Maybe he's right. That, I know we're all shaking our head and like, what in the world? But that nonsense, can I say that? That nonsense is happening. Pastors standing in pulpits, in churches, proclaiming, what they declare to be truth that is not in line with the Word of God, they've, they've shifted their stance, and now they're standing with the devil's schemes. Lord, have mercy. Help us. Shame on them. Shame on them. We're, we're not called to stand with the devil. What does it clearly say? Against. We stand in opposition. We stand against. I'm not walking with him. I don't want to be his friend. I don't want to unite with him. I don't want to sign a treaty with him. There's no unity with our enemy, the devil. He is our enemy against him and with him. There can only be war. There must be war. Because his desire is not unity. Because his desire is war. Because his desire is to devour, to steal, to kill, to destroy. I'm sorry, this gets me wound up. We, we are called to stand against the devil's schemes. And as mighty warriors, the Lord with us, we certainly can. When we are in Christ, clothed in the armor of God, equipped with the weapons, the spiritual weapons of our warfare, we can certainly take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I know we know, but just let me point this out, because it, it, it just doesn't say the devil. Although that probably would have been enough, because we know that he's a liar, a deceiver, a manipulator, a schemer. But it is so important for us to be reminded that the devil's schemes, that he is a liar, that he is a deceiver, 
that he wants to trick you, turn you, twist you, confuse you, deceive you with clever, deceptive schemes to lead you astray like, a, like, a, like an ox going to the slaughter. You know, if we're to, if we're to quote Proverbs 7, or, or a bird flying into a noose, it all kind of looks really good. It, it is designed to kill you, to destroy you, to devour you. He comes as an angel of light, right? As, as, a, as, a, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Schemes, 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 lies, 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 deceptions, deceptions, deceptions. We've got to say this. We've got to declare it. There's so much deception. There's so many lies. The devil is, is incredibly good at scheming. He is the father of lies. Revelation 12 says that he, that he has led the whole world astray. That his, that his ability to deceive is like unmatched. And he will lead you astray if, if you are not strong in the Lord and clothed in the armor of the God, and armor of God, and doing the things that you need to do to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our battle is not with one another. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it is against our enemy, the devil. His, his darkness, his deceptions, uh, his authorities, his powers uh, in, in dark places against spiritual forces of evil uh, in heavenly realms. This, this is our fight. This is where you know, we go to war and we are called of God to stand against the enemy, to stand against the devil. Now, if we come back in uh, to the to the story of Gideon, uh, remembering that, uh, that Gideon's going to battle against an enemy, uh, not, not against the people of God, and that how that relates to us is that we're going to battle against our enemy, the devil, and not against our brothers and sisters in Christ, and not against uh, flesh and blood. Um, now, Gideon, after having, in, in chapter 6, sounded the trumpet and gathered the people together, you come into uh, chapter 7, I'll just tell you some of this, um, and, and you can go back and, and read through it, uh, but uh, you're probably familiar with the story. Uh, I, I, can, I can like see it being taught in Sunday school on flannel graph. Uh, you know? um, God says there's too many, your army's too big. You know, so, so I think if I do the math uh, right, you know, his, his army at this point in time is in, in the 30,000s, there was 22 and 10, that's 32,000 uh, plus 3, 32,300, we'll call it that, 32,300. Uh, um, that, that's Gideon's army. Against an army of Midianites that, that their camels can't even be counted. You know, so they're, they're wildly outmatched, wildly outnumbered, and God says, yeah, it's too much. It, it's way too much. You, you, we, we can't do this. So just tell all the guys that are afraid... And, and don't want to be here to go home. So Gideon says, this always blows my mind. 
Gideon says, all you guys who are afraid and don't want to be here, go home. So 22,000 of them leave and go home. There's, I mean, they're like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I would have. I don't know. That's just something like, even if I was afraid and wanted to go home, I wouldn't have done it just because that's the way he said it. And it would have showed that I was afraid and wanted to go home. So 22,000 of them leave and they, and they go home. And so then, so then we're left with uh, 10,000. Um, well, maybe, anyway, my math is close, but let's not, not worry about that. Um, <laughs> not incredibly important. I was thinking maybe the, maybe the 300 are included in the 10,000, which would probably be right. So it would be 32,000. We'll just call it that. A good round number. And uh, so, so then God says, you know, it's still too much. So he says, bring everybody down to the, to the water to drink. And, and uh, anybody who gets down and, and, you know, laps up the water like a dog, you know, go ahead and send them home. But anybody who kneels and is alert and paying attention and just with their hand you know, drinks the water, brings the water up to their hand looking for the enemy, you, you keep those. And so Gideon does that. And only 300 men uh, drink the water paying attention and, and alert. And so, so we'll call it 10,000, 9,700 have to leave. And there's 300 left. 300 left to go into battle. 300, though, who are, as Gideon is, prepared. 300 who are, as Gideon is, mighty warriors. 300 who had the sense that there is an enemy that, that is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and we can't let our guard down. We've got we've to kneel. We've got to look. We've got to be alert. We've got to be watching. We've got to be uh, drinking water, yes, but we've got to have our head up looking around and, and, and paying attention in case the enemy would attack us at any time. So now Gideon and 300 men are going to go to battle against the Midianites who, who, are, an, who are, are an army that cannot be counted. They're so numerous and, and well-equipped and, and able fighters. 300 of them are going to battle. And, and I, I don't want to labor this, but this is such an important thing for us to remember that, that even though it's not 32,000 of them that are going to battle, it is still 300, maybe 301. Maybe Gideon's not included in 300, 301. It's 301 who are going off to battle, but Gideon's going to go off to battle with the right 300. And if you're going to go off to battle against the enemy, one of the important things that we've got to know is that we don't go alone. Is that we've got to lock arms with mighty men and women of God whom the Lord is with. And they are mighty warriors who, who are not embracing the devil's schemes and standing with him, but who are firmly planted on the rock to stand against the devil and his schemes. And when we stand together, though there may not be 32,000 of us, when we stand together, 301 of us can defeat the enemy that comes against us, though that enemy may far outnumber us. So Gideon is, is now preparing to go to battle against this enemy, and, and we can already see that, that things are not happening, that this battle's not happening the way that the world would battle. 
Right? Because the world would battle, right? We need everybody, and that's not enough. We need more. We better sound the trumpet again because there's only 32,000. Right? But God is doing things differently because God doesn't wage war the way the world wages war. So now 300 are, are going to go to battle, and, and, uh, and the Lord knows that Gideon's a little nervous about this. And so he says, hey, I know you're a little nervous about this. Go down and spy on the Midianite camp. And so Gideon goes and spies on the Midianite camp, and as he's spying, he hears this guy telling another soldier about a dream that he had. And he says, hey man, I had this dream where like a loaf of bread rolled uh, down and, and, it, and it, just, it just knocked our tents over. And he said, that can't be anything but Gideon and the armies of Israel knocking us down and, and rolling us over. And Gideon was like, yes. That, is, that interpretation inspired him. And, uh, and so let's pick up the story right there. Judges chapter 7. Uh, what is that, Scott? Judges 7, uh, 13. Is that verse 13? Yes. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, uh, he was saying, and a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, "Uh, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And, And this is the Midianites talking. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And it wasn't that hard to get them all up because there's only 300 of them. Mm. <laughs> Dividing the 300 men into, into three companies, um, you know, just trying to impress you guys with my math skills this morning, uh, that would be three companies of a hundred. Uh, hey, you know, what can I say? And one. Yeah, one of them's got 300. One of them's got 101, yes. L- uh, listen, this is, this is crazy. You got three companies of a hundred, right? We're, we're going to surround them, yeah. You hundred go on there, you hundred go there, you hundred go over here, right? And, and oh, before you go, let me give you your weapons. We're going to take them down. So he, so he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Now, just to say this, these guys are still going to go into battle. I don't know what's wrong with them. Do you? I have no idea. Like, I think, <laughs> like if I'm in one of the companies of 100 and I'm like looking out, I'm like, oh my gosh, man. There's like a thousand camels right there. And I'll be like, okay, where, you know, my sword. And then I'm handed a trumpet and an empty jar. I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? And then, oh, well, there's a torch inside. Yes, thank the Lord. You know what? I'm, I think I might put it down. I'm out of here, man. There's the 299 of you can do it. He gives them trumpets and empty jars in, in their hands. And, and with torches inside of him, and he says, he's like all kinds of passion. I can see Gideon. He's all kinds of wound up and passionate about it. And, um, he says, watch me, he told them. Uh, follow my lead. You see, somewhere in this time, it's important to make this distinction, isn't it? That when God shows up in Judges 6 and speaks to Gideon, he says, I'm with you. 
You're a mighty warrior, Gideon's like, no, no, sir, uh-uh, I'm not, you're not. Where, where have you been? You're not, you've not been with us, I do not believe that. And, and me, a mighty warrior, no, nothing doing. I, I'm, I, my family's weak, I'm the weakest in the family, no way. Somewhere from that moment, Gideon has believed. And he believes that he's a mighty warrior, so he says, watch me. And, and he believes that God's with him. I mean, why? I'm not doing this. If God's gone, I'm not doing this. He says, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then from all around the camp blow your trumpets and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So that's the plan. <laughs> He's just like, we should do Is there a VeggieTales of this? There is, isn't there? Yeah. You'd be like, are, are you going to do it? I mean, I'll do it if you do it. I don't know. Well, let's just see what Gideon does, and then we'll, we'll follow along. Gideon and the, and the hundred men with him, so there's 101, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard, and they blew their trumpets and broke their jars and broke the jars that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position, standing their ground, held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. It's just confusion that hits uh, the enemy's camp, and they just run around crying out uh, as, as, they, as they fled because the Israelites have descended upon them, the sword of, of the Lord and of Gideon. Well, uh, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Now, the army fled to Beth, Shatiah, toward Zariah, as far as the border of Abel Mihalah near Tabath. Whew. Praise the Lord. Mm. Got through that. Mm. Anyway. And Israel, as you go on, was victorious. If we were to read over the Midianites, over their enemy, no longer defeated, no longer oppressed, no longer hiding, no longer in fear, uh, because Gideon, 300 mighty warriors, in, in, embraced God's battle plan, laid hold of his weapons, and went against the enemy. And God with them, and these mighty warriors together, saw that their, saw Israel uh, be victorious over their enemies. And, and if you read through the rest of the story, and I'd encourage you to, we're not going to do it, but I'd encourage you to, you find Gideon has fully embraced the reality that he is a mighty warrior. There is some opposition that he faces in the story, and, and he is not some weak, pushover dude. He says, I, I don't know, 
I don't know who you think you're messing with, but when I go do this, I'm coming back for you. And he does. He goes and he does it, and he comes back. And what he said he would do, he does, and nobody stops him. And, and I don't see anywhere where any of these 300 guys fell to anybody. They were victorious over their enemy. Now, we've, we've already seen this, some of these connections between this story and ours. Uh, but one of the powerful connections that, that needs to be made here is that, is that God calls Israel. Now, He's with them and He fights with them, but He calls Israel to, to stand and face their enemy and, and they are anointed and called and gifted of God to, to fight against the enemy and to oppose the enemy and to, and to hold off the enemy. And, and we as the people of God, in, born in the time that God chose for us to be born, in our generation, we have this enemy who is not a flesh and blood enemy, and we are called to war we are called to oppose. We are called to fight. We are called to resist. And we can and we must. And if we don't, if we don't shine the light of Christ and repel the darkness, then the darkness encroaches on flesh and blood and deceives and leads astray and destroys. Let me... Uh, let me just remind you of, 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 I mean, there's a lot of this in the Old Testament, but we'll just look at a few verses. We already did um, look at Ephesians 6. We don't have to do that again, but you can read all that. You probably know it. Uh, being clothed in the armor of God, taking our stand against the enemy. It's got, it's got warrior all over it, resisting the enemy all over it. There is, a, there is you know, the references in Romans uh, 13. Um, but I wanted to remind you, of, of 2 Thessalonians, because this shows us, this reminds us of how important it is that we fight, that we war, that we shine the light of Christ and oppose the darkness. It, it, it's, like, it's like Gideon being called of God to war, but then not doing it, hide, continuing to hide out, and Israel never, never being freed. Uh, we, we can't do that. We've got to embrace the call of God on our lives and, and step up to the plate and go to war with the enemy. Because that's what we're to do, and if we don't do it, no one else can do it. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Um, it, it just explains it here. Concerning the coming of our Lord, and, of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters... Uh, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, uh, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or letter, asserting uh, that the day of the Lord has already come. So he's you know, talking about uh, the, the return of Jesus, which is something we need to be talking about uh, in, in this day and time. Because you know, if, if the Holy Spirit's at work within you, at all, and, and there's any scripture stirring in your heart, you can look and see the day approaching, which is what boggles my mind. Anyway, that's another topic. Why, why are we not gathering? I, I mean, thankfully, for you are, and for your faithfulness, and you're to be commended for this, but, but why 
are, are so many Christians looking and seeing the day approaching and talking about it. Hey, is Jesus coming? And not gathering. It's like the one thing we're told to do. If you look and see the day approaching, gather. Don't forsake it. Now's not the time. Gather. Come together. So, so there's this deception that's going out there saying that, they're, that the apostles are saying that, that Jesus has already come. He said, but don't let anyone deceive you uh, in any way, uh, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, uh, the, the Revelation speaks of as the beast, uh, or, uh, or John talks about in, in 1 John, uh, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Don't want to be him. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. That's what's going to happen. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So now Paul says there's, there's something repelling him, there's something opposing him, there's something holding him back, so that he'd be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So, so the, the man of lawlessness, the, uh, the beast, the Antichrist, has not appeared. But, as John says, as 1 John says, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. Here in, in the Thessalonians, we have the same thing. The power of lawlessness is already at work. Reason being, because the devil is already at work and his deceptions uh, are already... Uh, are already his schemes are already uh, out there, uh, loosed to deceive people and lead them astray. But but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, the one who holds back the lawless one who holds back the spirit of Antichrist, who is, who is not in union with the spirit of Antichrist or lawlessness, who is not in agreement, who is, who is not standing with or walking with or sitting with, not friends, not shaking hands, not signing treaties, not in unity, the one who is opposing, the one who is holding back the scheme, the deception, the anti-Christ lawless spirit that would come and deceive in order to kill, steal, and destroy, the one holding that back are the mighty warriors of God. The Holy Spirit-filled church. It's we who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, who embrace this book as holy and true, and who are filled from, the, from, the, from our toenails to the ends of our hair with the Holy Spirit. We are opposing and holding the enemy back, shining the light of Christ. We're the only hope for the lost 
and hurting and dying who are deceived in darkness. We, we don't want to fight with them. We want to fight for them to set them free. And there is an anointing and a power upon us to be victorious and not be overcome by the lawless antichrist spirit, but to overcome it and to certainly not agree. Heaven help us. Lord, have mercy on us. I will not stand in agreement with the lies of the enemy. I will not stand in agreement with the lawless spirit of Antichrist. I am called not to unite with it, but to war against it. And the Lord is with us. And we are mighty warriors. And we hold it off and oppose it until we're taken out of the way. Until we're raptured. And then there's nothing here. The church of Jesus Christ raptured. There's, there's not a warrior to stand against this anti-Christ lawless spirit and it rampantly spreads across the earth and leads the world astray. And then when we're taken out of the way, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Hey, yeah, I'm going to ride with him my white steed clothed in my white, never mind. We don't got time, right? Hallelujah. It's hard not to, I'm going to ride, I'm going to be there, I'm going to see, I'm going to see the, the forces of darkness destroyed by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. Then, verse 9, the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. See, it's important because it reminds us that, that behind all of this is Satan working. Like the, the Antichrist and his false prophet are Satan's puppets. The real problem is the, is the enormous red dragon. That ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. The, these things will be in accordance with the deceptions of Satan and how he works. How he works is lies, schemes, deceptions. It always is. It's never not. It's never truth. It's always lies. He will use all sorts of displays of power uh, through signs and wonders that, that do what? That serve the lie not the truth, that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives, deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they have refused to love the truth and so be saved. It, it, it's, not, it's, not they perish, it's not they perish because they didn't see the truth because the truth wasn't proclaimed, because the truth wasn't revealed, it's that they refused. They refused to love the truth. And they want, want the truth. They want what their itching ears desire to hear. Give me a deception. Give me a lie. Give me a scheme that will make me feel good about my sin. 
It'll make me feel good about what I really love, myself and the things of this world. They, they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends a powerful delusion so that they will, not, so that they will believe the lie even more and more. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Here's the problem. Refuse to, refuse to believe the truth. Refuse to love it because they delighted in wickedness. When we delight in wickedness, man, we just open ourselves up to be deceived and led astray by the enemy. Now, we are, as the people of God, called to stand against the wickedness, not embrace it, to, to reveal the lie, not believe it, to proclaim the truth, stand against the spirit of Antichrist and the lawless one. And just like the story of Gideon, they are, they are given weapons to warfare that are not normal weapons. We have been given not only the call of God on our lives to be mighty warriors and the promise of God uh, that He's with us, but we have been given weapons of warfare as well. Let me, let me read to you 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, we'll start here at verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, which is so true, and we do, and that's so important that we do because the world needs us, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's such a connect to Gideon, isn't it? I think that's probably what these guys were thinking. Well, these are really not the weapons we need. A trumpet, a jar, a torch. What exactly am I supposed to do with that? But they ended up being the very weapons that they need to fight the battle that God was calling them to fight. And when we, we don't wage war, the world does the way the world does, and the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. And the reason we go to battle are not the reasons of the world. We're not, we're not battling for fame or, or, or riches or possessions or land or power. We are battling for souls. We are going to war against the enemy with weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds so that we ourselves will be free and so that we can set others free as well. We want to see them liberated from, from the lie, from deception, from schemes, and brought from bondage and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And these weapons that we have, on the contrary, have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a flesh and blood thing. It's a strongholds of the enemy. Verse 5. 
Verse 5, we demolish arguments. See, we've got strongholds and arguments. This is what we're coming against, right? It's, it's coming against strongholds uh, of the enemy. It's coming against arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Our arguments and, 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 uh, and declarations of things that, that come against the knowledge of God. We, we are not against flesh and blood, but we must be against false, deceptive schemes and arguments and pretensions that would set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We must stand against it and oppose it. If, if not us, who? If we don't proclaim the truth, if we don't oppose it, if we don't, I mean, oppose the lie, if we don't war against the darkness, then the darkness encroaches and souls are at stake. Maybe even our own children and youth, and friends, and family who will be deceived by the devil's schemes and led astray like a bird flying into a noose or an ox going to the slaughter. Little, little knowing it will cost them their lives. The, the house of the enemy is not a house of feasting and celebration and life. The dead are there. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul, Paul, Paul starts out saying, yeah, people think I'm timid and, and, and weak when I'm, when I'm in person, bold, when I'm away. He said, let me, let me tell you who I am. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm clothed for battle. I'm armed with weapons of warfare that have divine power to demolish strongholds and I will demolish them and arguments and I'll stand against them and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and every thought that would take it captive and make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once our obedience is complete. Paul says, I'm a warrior and I'm here to fight. I'm here to fight against the darkness. And we are warriors, and we are here to fight. Now, I don't need to take a whole ton of time to tell you some of the weapons of our warfare that will demolish strongholds, but I do just want to take our last few minutes together and remind you of three of them, three of them that you know, three that you remember, but maybe we forget how powerful they are, that they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So, so, so when we're done, we'll, we'll remember that, that, that we are called of God mighty warriors, that we have His promise that He, the mighty warrior, is with us. Like you just, read, just go read Psalms 24 this afternoon and remember, and remember that, that the one who is who is coming in, is the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, all 
O ye, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord Almighty, the Lord strong and mighty in battle. This is the King of glory. He is with us. And not only are we mighty warriors and, and God is with us, but we have weapons of warfare that are not of this world that are able to demolish strongholds so that so that clothed in the armor of God, equipped with these weapons, we can stand against the enemy and oppose the darkness. We, we, can, we can stand in, in protection over our marriage and our children, over our friends and our families, over our communities and our cities and even our country and the world and hold off the antichrist, lawless, deceptive spirit of our enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Hold it off and see the lost enter into the light and find salvation. Let, let me remind you of, of three of our weapons of, of warfare. The weapon of worship. Worship is such a, such a powerful, powerful weapon against the enemy. I believe when we worship, we shut the enemy's mouth. Read Psalm 8. It talks about, remember, children worshiping. Children out of children, the mouths of children and infants. You have ordained praise to, to, to break the stronghold and to silence the foe and the avenger. It's especially true over our young people. Over children and youth, there's an anointing on them when they worship. That's why we got to call our kids to worship. Got to call our children to worship. We got to lead them to worship because we worship ourselves. There's power when we praise, there's power when we worship against the enemy to, to, to demolish strongholds and to shut his mouth. Let me ask you this now. I know we've said this. Let me say it again. If the liar's mouth is shut, what else does he have? We've got to worship the Lord. I know you remember the story of Paul and Silas when they began to worship the Lord in prison. Worship is a weapon. We've got to embrace it and worship Him. It will demolish strongholds, shut down arguments, it will bring victory to our lives and victory to the lives of others as well. There's so many Christians who live in defeat because they won't worship. They don't listen to it. They don't sing it. They don't embrace it. They don't worship. We've got to worship the Lord. Worship. Go to war with our praise against the enemy. I, I remember a story when I was a kid, I don't remember where I heard it, whether it was a missionary that came to our church or I heard it in a sermon, but, but he, had, he had gone to, uh, maybe it was Africa, I think, and, and there, you know, there was great darkness and deception and many strongholds of the enemy, and he, and he came into a, to a tribe, and he was met there by the, by the witch doctor, and, and, and the witch doctor said, I said, come here, I want, I want, to, I want to show you something, and they... And they, they gathered people around this individual and, you know, you believe this or not believe it, but this is what this missionary said. And they began to chant things and elevated this man in the middle of them right up off the ground. And the witch doctor looked at the missionary and he said, can your God do that? And he said, well, he doesn't really do that kind of stuff. He said, but he can get him down. 
And he went out just a little bit away from them, and he began to worship the Lord. He began to worship God and praise Him and exalt Him and bless His holy name. And that man, bang, to the ground. When we worship, we wage war against the enemy. It is a weapon that we fight with, not a weapon of this world. I don't understand. Many Christians don't even understand. It's one of the reasons why we gather together as the people of God, why we should shout with a voice of triumph, why we should clap, why we should sing, why we should declare His awesomeness and His goodness, why we should lift our hands, worship Him. It's a weapon to defeat Him. You know it. Second, second is, is prayer. We go to battle on our knees. There is power when we pray. When you pray, the enemy is defeated. When you pray for the lost, there's power in that. When you pray for your wife, there's power. When you pray for your husband, there's power. When you pray for your children, there's power. When you pray for your, for your friends, your family, your co-workers, there is, there is God moves. God sets up hedges of protection and, and, and brings, uh, brings clarity and truth to the deception and the lies. There is, there is a power when we pray it's a it's a weapon that we have this is one of the ones that's listed in a in in Ephesians chapter 6 after Paul goes through the armor he says pray he says pray for one another pray in the spirit pray for me we've got to be people of prayer mighty warriors called of God Pray against the enemy. Pray against the darkness. I'm telling you, there's power when you do. And then, and then the third obvious, it's so obvious but, but so neglected, is, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We, we are mighty warriors. This, this book must, must be sharp in our hands firmly grasped to take our stand against the enemy. You, you know that even Jesus, when the enemy came against him, defeated him, Matthew 4, Luke 4, with what? It is written. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, worship the Lord and serve Him only. Jesus, the Word, Son of God, grabbing the Word to go to battle against the enemy. There's nothing more powerful against the lie than the truth, than the Word of God. This is why Psalm 119 says, if you want victory over sin, you've got to hide God's word in your heart. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's not a lot the enemy can trick us with and deceive us with. We're not going to fall into the ditch when the path is clearly lit. We're going to see the snare for what it is. We're going to be able to easily identify the deception. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the Word of God, the enemy doesn't have a leg to stand on. 
it's just so clear what he's up to. Right? It's 2 Corinthians 2, isn't it? That, that tells us that, that we're not unaware of his schemes because we're full of the Holy Spirit and filled with the Word of God. So now, mighty warriors, the Lord is with you and you are a mighty warrior and you have weapons of warfare that are, that are, that are endowed, if you will, with divine power to come against the enemy and demolish him and destroy him and wipe him out so that we are not oppressed, but we are victorious. So that we are not enslaved, but we are free. And so that we are battling to see others free as well. To see others find the wonderful life and freedom that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's not stand with the enemy. Let's stand against him. Let's not hide from him. Let's come out of hiding. We need the church to come out of hiding and go to battle against the darkness because we are all that there is to hold off the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness, to hold off the darkness and to see the lost set free. Let's be God's people who we're called to be doing what we're called to do. We will be victorious, I promise. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, nobody looking around. Let me just ask you if if you have not set Jesus as Lord in your heart, if He's not the, the rock that you are standing on, then you will not be able to stand against the enemy. But if you are standing on Jesus, if you have received His salvation, if He is your Lord, then you will be victorious over the enemy. If you've not done that this morning and you want to make Jesus Savior and Lord, I just ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, thank you, Jesus. If you're watching online and you just want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. If you're listening, just raise your hand wherever you are. And let's just all pray together. Just repeat after me. Make Jesus Savior. Make Him Lord. Lord Jesus, I believe You are my hope. You are my life. You are my salvation. I receive Your forgiveness. I set You as Lord in my heart. Be my God. Be my King. Be my Savior. Be my everything. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.